Green's light bulb moment came in 1999 when on a work trip to New York she noticed manicure bars on every street corner of the Big Apple and saw a gap in the UK market for professional high quality manicures along with an on-trend range of products. Fast forward nearly 20 years and Nails Inc is a multi-million pound empire. Having created the UK's number one nail bar chain with 20 locations, award-winning polishes which are used backstage at everywhere from fashion weeks to award ceremonies, Thea has used her industry experience and intelligence to launch a new brand, Incredible. Welcome to the Sheer Luck Success Stories. In each fortnightly episode, we delve into the stories behind some of the most successful entrepreneurs and careers we've seen. A very warm welcome, Thea, to your Sheer Luck Success Story. Let's start at the beginning. You went to London College of Fashion to study fashion. What happened next? I was at um, London College of Fashion for three years. And during my time there, I, like so many people, constantly interned. We were talking about it before. So I was interning at Tatler when I was at London College of Fashion. And then by the time I left college, I went full time and worked as originally as fashion coordinator, I think it was called. Hilarious title. And then became fashion editor at 23. So that in itself is incredible that you became fashion editor at 23. And talk to us about interning interning gets a bit of a hard time this was in what year what year did you leave London College of Fashion? So Nails Inc started in 1999 I'd have been at Nail Tatler for two years so 97 I guess I was studying from I think it's probably 94 to 97 and I did I worked at Tatler and over those two years worked my way up from well interning whilst I was at uni and then fashion coordinator I think it was called then it was fashion assistant junior fashion editor and I left as fashion editor. And were you very clear that interning was the way in and that was what you needed to do? I loved interning. I think you're right. Interning does get a bad rep. And I think it's, you know, interning is confusing, isn't it? Because some people pay for interns and some people don't pay for interns. I think that's a lot of the challenges about the finances. But for me, in a small magazine like Tatler, I think if you're willing and ambitious, I got to do so many great things, you know. So even when I was a student, I was going on photo shoots. I was working for the editors. The brilliant thing about those sort of smaller magazines is the runners get to do so much so I really felt like I was learning the job and in the end proof is in the pudding because I got offered a job at the end of it because they trained me Mm. throughout my uni Mm. days so I feel like for me it was an amazing experience and I loved it I think a lot of people do it and then they need a job maybe on the side to support it financially but I loved interning. You do what you have to do. Yeah. And why do you think you got the job of fashion editor at such a young age? What qualities do you think you showed them that you had that they were so drawn to? I think I've always just worked my socks off. I feel like 90% of my success is down to just sheer tenacity, crazy hard work and just going until it's done. There's very few people I know that have been really successful and it's been easy. Most people I know, we were talking about before we went on, you know, have slogged like crazy to do it. And I think, you know, I've always had that work ethic and I think I always just wanted to do better you know and were you always ambitious from a young age did you always want a successful career is that something that drove you it's a funny word ambition isn't it because I always feel like ambition and competitiveness all sort of feel especially when you talk about females people sort of put it as a a negative you know to be overly ambitious or overly competitive people then have this image of this very difficult business person so I don't like the word so much but I think I always just wanted to do the best I could you know I don't think I was particularly competitive with my peers but I think I've always liked making money doing a good job people around you being pleased with what you've done and still today you know I love the fact my team are excited about whatever we're doing and when they're not on board we don't do a money job we do the 
the job that we like to do. You obviously had some star quality at a young age because before we started recording, I was saying that I remember in my very first job <laughs> at Coty Beauty, you coming into the office and there were sort of whispers of going around the office of people older than me saying, Thea Green's here and she's she's from Tatler and she's amazing. And, and there was a real, there's a, there's real chat, you know, this superstar was coming in. They obviously had something back then. So tell us about New York. So it was on a trip to New York. So I had an, Ameri- I had an American boss at Tatler and we frequently went backwards and forwards to the States. And I was just inspired by the convenience of nail bars, really. The fact that everyone that we traveled with would get their nails done as soon as they landed in the States. It's one of these things you do. You'd shop for the American brands and you'd get your nails done. It was like, you know, part of the few days in New York. And I sort of questioned why it didn't exist in the UK, really. I think when we first started researching it, I presumed there would be a reason why it wouldn't work in the UK. I think lots of people have that when you have an idea. You think this must be a bad idea, otherwise someone else would have already done it. it? And then you realize actually people have great ideas all the time and so few people actually set up a business and go through with it. And that's why there's great ideas around us every day. Really inspired by that, came back and, you know, as you said, I was a fashion editor, so I wasn't a business person. But I think I was commercial and I think what magazines taught me was understanding the next thing and understanding how kind of consumer trends work. And how consumers tick, I imagine. I mean, you're putting stuff on your pages because you think that's going to appeal to them. And I just felt you sort of feel this bubbling of, you know, something, you know, and remember at the same time all the coffee shops were opening. It 99 was a year of dot-com as well. It was, you know, all the sort of startups um, getting their first round of funding. So it was quite a buzzy time. But yeah, I definitely embarked on it thinking there must be a reason why it wouldn't work. And then, you know, from that you snowball and all sorts of things happen next, you know. And had you always wanted your own business? I think I would have always set up a business of some kind. I think I loved working in magazines and I still feel like I work in fashion today at Nails Inc. You know, we have lots of associations with fashion and nail colour itself is an item of fashion. I would always have set up a business. And what did your time at Tatler teach you? Are there things you still think about today? I definitely have bosses from, you know, my 100%. very early career and I reference how they would deal with the situation. I yeah. was just talking about one of them today. What are the things you still remember today that you learned there? I think the great thing about working in a magazine is you have zero knowledge about what you're going to write about until you write about it, research it and then do it. So what I like about it, you're not scared of the unknown. And I think that's the sort of journalism background is it you can ask as many questions, because in the end, you just need to find out the information. And I feel like Nails Inc, you know, has lots of those qualities in terms of we, when we first set up the business, all sorts of areas of the business that I didn't understand, but you would just go and find the right person to talk to and treat it like journalism until you got the right answer. You'd go and speak to multiple people until you Someone's going to give me the answer I want. Someone's going to give you the answer. And I you know, like we phoned Boots originally to say, where do you manufacture nail polish? In the end, I think you ask questions. I think journalism teaches you that. And also, it's managing tight budgets. You know, budgets in magazines are tight Mm. and you want to get lots of amazing marketing coverage without spending big money and I think that's what I did all the time at Tatler you know we'd be going on a photo shoot and negotiating the locations and all those things and how did you start it so you came back to the UK you had this idea you're gonna you're gonna launch what one nail bar to start with no it was always multiple nail bars and the aim of the business was always that product would take the lead that the product would sell outside of the nail bars as well it was always a service and product um, business. And that must have been quite unique. There was lots of hair companies at the time that combined service and product. So companies like John Frieda and Nikki Clark, Tony and Guy. So I was quite inspired by their model of how they made services and products work and the way that the service was the, the way to really engage with the customers and touch the customers and get the customer feedback and then also build a brand around it and build the lifestyle. And was it just you on your own? No, I originally started with a partner called MT, who's still a small shareholder today. She moved to New York a few years into the business. She was probably more experienced, I think, in the early days than I was. She came from advertising and she was very experienced in running things like focus groups. So we did a huge amount of focus groups when we first started Nails Inc. Did you do that before you opened? We did it way before we opened. We did it before we even raised money. We raised our money based actually on that focus group 
feedback, I would say. We wrote the whole business plan and we did all the correct things. But I think the focus groups were the most powerful tool we had. And what were they telling you? That there was a market? That there was a market that if they had it, they'd use it every week. Maybe some of them had never got their nails done. But they said, you know, that their sister had been to New York and she immediately got it. And if they were going to New York, they'd get it done. And if it was available and convenient and the right price. I think a lot of it as well was also about time. I think we thought it was about money so much. It needed to be a very affordable service. And a lot of what we learned was actually it needs to be quick. I think a lot of our customers put the same value on the pound as they did on their time. Women really don't feel like they have the time to go and treat themselves. So you have to make it very convenient. And so you did your focus groups, you Mm -hmm. got all this feedback. And you then what, wrote a business plan? Wrote a business plan pretty much at the same time. Then we raised money from private individuals. Talk us through that process, because I think there's so many women saying, how do I do it in the early days? How do I raise money? Yeah, and there's, I think there's many more ways to do it now. I think things like crowdfunding today, there's lots of other opportunities of, of how you would do it. But effectively, we spoke to anybody that we knew that had more than a pound and said, <laughs> would you want to invest? And if not, do you know anyone else that would? And that is literally how we did it. You know? And you raised 300,000. We raised 300,000 when we first started. Which was from, a lot then, at first well, it, round. It, no? was, it was funny because all the dot coms were raising sort of one and two million. True. And it felt tiny in comparison to what was going on. And actually, quite a few people originally said, it's not enough. You know, you go and speak to private equity people. And as I'm sure you know, they don't want to invest Mm. 300,000. They're not interested unless there's a few million. And we were trying to, you know, sell a proportion of the business and raise a smaller amount of money and see what we needed. And no one knew because no one had done it before. I think that's the good and the bad thing about Nails Inc. is it would have been easier to set up a business where the model already existed. The model in the States was so different to what we were doing. So I think the learning in the first year was just intensified by that because there wasn't really anyone to watch mm-hmm. and actually the only people to watch was we had competitors opening at the same time as us but they were behind us or the same as us they weren't ahead of us if you were ever doing your own business again it's quite interesting to just do a better version of what already exists it's it's just a year of brutal learning at the same time you make the rules yourself which is the win of nails inc you create the industry and those investors how many investors got you your three hundred thousand? was that your target amount to uh, raise yes it was our target amount and it was seven people in total and what was it that you had that made those seven investors? Like for people listening, thinking, what qualities have I got to show? I think when you're first setting up a business, the belief that you have in what you're doing is just like the best interview. You know, it's like when you interview an amazing candidate and they want that job so much and they have really prepared for it. They're not leaving until they sell back to you why you really need them. And I feel like we were just so passionate about it and it was real. I think it's the same reason we secured retailers. It's because the retailers were excited that it was new and that you'd be missing out if you weren't taking part. You Mm. know, it was something genuinely unique in the industry. And I think there was so much dot-com chat. I think so many investors were nervous about things not being internet proof. You know, we were saying, before the joy of services it's one of the reasons why people will always have to not just surf the internet you know you have to go out and get a service done or at least bring someone into you that's probably why you're still here today and so many of those dot coms aren't so you raised your money and that three hundred thousand was to open how many stores it was to open i think our first three or four stores and it was also to really press play on the manufacturing so we started our business with near on 100 colors we opened a business hundred colors as if we were launching 100 stores we did not open a business as if we were opening one shop it was never supposed to be one shop and there was minimum orders in terms of product which is a big challenge you know when you're launching Mm. in beauty that you have these very high minimum orders and that is I think still a genuine challenge today finding factories that will do small runs at Mm -hmm. cost effective is you know price is difficult so we then had the pressure 
to keep on opening stores because we had all this product. And that was in 1999? That was 1999. And you opened three stores that year? Yes, we opened at least three stores that year. Where were they? South Morton Street, was that your first? South Morton Street, Fenix and Canary Wharf were our first three. Fenix was probably the most groundbreaking thing for us because I remember we opened and we were next to Chanel in the beauty hall. No pressure there. And I just remember, <laughs> you know, and I remember because we'd done the deal and I, you know, like I think it's the questions that you asked, you know, we'd done the deal. They said we were on a great site in the ground floor. We'd even stood in the site. But when we opened, I was like, God, we're next to Chanel. Like it's just, <laughs> we were this tiny little entrepreneurial company, you know, still practically taking the boxes in. I feel like for the first two years, we practically took the stock in ourselves. I think what we worked out outside of our own standalone stores was how the beauty industry really works in terms of creating a brand and an experience. So and talk that us loyalty. through that. How, how does it work? I, I just feel like through department stores, you sort of all in the same boat where, you know, lady comes in and she wants to spend £20, £30. She doesn't even know necessarily what she wants to spend. She just wants something that's going to make her feel good. And she doesn't always have a, I'm buying a mascara, you know, I have a plan. It's you wander into a beauty hall very often with, I want something that's going to make me feel good. And I think that was really exciting because if we could make you feel good sitting at the Nails Inc. Nail Bar and then buying a Nails Inc. Nail Polish, it felt like we had the equal opportunity of Chanel that had been around for 100 years that was going to sell you fragrance. It felt like we were not on a level playing field at all, to be fair, but at the same time had the same equal opportunity. And that was exciting to have that opportunity to say, and I think... What was fun about Nails Inc., you know, right from the get-go, is we were the only people doing services in department stores. And so we stood out. We probably... It was just such a new concept, wasn't it? To yeah. go into a department store and get something done. Exactly that. And women are very comfortable about getting their hands and their nails out. It added a new element of a girl's day out, didn't Exactly. It? You know, it wasn't just shopping and lunch. Yes, we were something else. I think that was a big thing as well. And one of our learnings is that we worked out a lot of our customers like to come in twos, mums and daughters and friends and colleagues from the office or even to do business meetings at Nails Inc. We, you know, I think that was one of the things we had a lot of, you know, in the early days is, but, you know, in the beginning, I was like, it was, it was different. You'd never seen it before. And do you think launching in a department store and in your own store, do you think those two in tandem were crucial? Because, you know, you had the awareness that being in Fennec next to Chanel bought you. There was three or four companies that opened pretty close to each other and we got the department store deals and those other companies aren't in existence today. And I'm sure what worked for us was the fact that we created a brand through looking around us and all the big corporate beauty companies. There was none of these little entrepreneurial cool companies that there are today. It was Chanel, Dior, Estee Lauder around us. And I think we learned everything from looking after our staff to looking after our customers to how you run a department store. Everything really, you know, because you're watching the big guys at it every day. And it feels more theatrical a nail bar in a department store, I think, than in a standalone store because you're a lovely break, like you say, from everything else that's going on you're this lovely little sea of change when everything else is just about selling product and it keeps you in the store longer it keeps you in the store longer which is why department stores generally love services in their stores like cafes you know, because people will sit down and consider whether or not they're going to buy the coat how did you convince Fennec that they needed you in there Fennec came to us so when we were in South Moulton Street we had literally queues out the door every day they came and approached us we were nervous because it was round the corner from our store yeah but it was a completely different customer straight away I still say a lot of our West End you know customers they share but, you know, Phoenix does sort of have this unique customer base and we're still in there today and it's still definitely one of our best stores. And how did you get the queues out of the door at South Morton Street? I mean, it's obviously a great location. How I, much is the stores about location? How how did you get that in the early days I, when no one knew? Yeah, and South Morton Street isn't that street today, is it? You know, it used to be such a busy cut-through street. It's not the street that it was today. We're no longer there. But 
I think the big thing that we had is this 15-minute promise, you know, 15-minute manicure. That was when, like, Pret-a-Manger was starting popping up all over the high streets, which you now just think has been here for forever. But actually... How did we live? <laughs> they, you know, they'd previously been kind of, like, out in the counties. His sort of first stores in London were that same time. Coffee Republic opened. Costa, those kind of companies. So it was all about that speed, that lunchtime fix. It was before Starbucks was in London. So you had the three stores, mm-hmm. and it sounds like that just happened. It was the right time and it was a great product and and everything fell into place what happened next so you went from three stores did you then go right now we need to open 20 stores yeah we did we went from three to 20 quite fast because we started working with department stores really and that sort of changed everything for us because we opened nail bars with them but we also opened product outside of the nail bars so the brand also lived outside of the service and that really created the demand for customers to really know the products we started working with john lewis as a self-select in terms of product only but we very quickly started working with house of fraser as well fenix harvey nichols and then later Selfridges as well. And did you have to raise more money for that? But we did raise more money one more time in between to open the next stage of department stores and then not since. So it was still you and your business partner? This is around the time that she'd left because by the time we were rolling out department stores, she was, she'd was she left at that point, yeah. So what did your role and your team look like in those think, sort of early years? I think the best bit of the job is you were doing everything from negotiating the contracts um, to sitting down with a lawyer and understanding the contracts properly, to designing and developing product, to building a brand, to PR and marketing, which was obviously intrinsic to the background that I'd had that, you know, really kind of building the hype around it, but also just making customers aware that we had a new proposition to what was out in the market before. Yeah, I mean, it was everything to watching the finances, to continuing to write the business plan, to going back to the business plan and saying, we said we we're going to do this, this and this, we did this and this, you know. And I don't know if that's really changed. I feel like there's more and more people in Nails Inc. and Incredible every day. But I still feel like I think about... You're wearing many different hats. Many different hats. And it's not because I don't have great people. You just... I think running a business means you think about all areas. You're Mm. watching your sales, your, you know, your sales and the money side of it, who you're reporting to, whoever, you know, your investors are, all the way through to, you know, the next product development. Exactly. And what's the next big thing? And also making sure that you're never stopping and you're never standing still. And then, I don't know if you do this, but I spend a lot of my time fixing problems and focusing on the bad stuff because the good stuff's already fine yeah they don't need you until it's the bad stuff firefighting and managing people that's what someone uh, told me years ago someone wise yeah that's I spend most of my time fixing a problem because actually the good stuff you don't you let the team celebrate the good stuff but the good stuff you're like okay that's all great and off you go and you focus on the problem over here or you know someone that's not happy about something you know and let's talk about the product service split. Yes. Where is that today? Well, today we're a much heavier product business because we sell our product all over the world. So we have a distributor in Japan. We sell in Sephora in the US, um, in the Middle East. We sell in boot stores. So product is a bigger business of you know ours today. It's probably around 70, 30 today. And how do you keep innovating? Because, I mean, over the years, you've come up with some incredible, <laughs> incredible ideas, some wacky now, ideas. How many times do you say the word incredible? This I is know. why the brand name God, is good. Stop saying it. No, but, you must say it more. Um, yeah, how do you keep innovating? And talk us through, I mean, talk us through paint can. Talk us through, what did you do when the gel effect came along? I mean, did that worry you? But, you know, you fought it off. You created your own range. I think because I'm not a nail technician, I just always look at the bigger market because I'm not submerged in nails. So I love nail polish and I love getting my nails done. And I really do believe in like regular manicures but I see it as a wider marketing picture. So I think if the customer wants a green, organic, vegan, halal nail polish, 
if she wants that in skincare, then I presume she might well want it in nail polish. Because if she's, your superfood nail Yes, which is what we, yeah, and we're, and we're continuing to do that. So we've done superfood in terms of kale, kale products. We've designed a range recently, which is pure, which is, you know, very non-chemical nail polish, which is, you know, halal friendly. All of our products are vegan now. You know, I think we're constantly moving the products on to deliver. What is um, a halal friendly So it means nail that it means color. that the nail polish will permeate water and oxygen because of part of their religious beliefs when they wash their hands, they want to know that the water and oxygen okay. can permeate through. So it means there's no barrier to so it can come through the nail polish. Same with the paint can, you know, it's like what fun way can you dispense nail polish? Like, so for people listening, Nails Inc. launched a line, a paint can yeah. line, which was literally like a can of spray paint that you sprayed on your nails. With some nail varnish in. Yeah, and you got it on your skin, but you washed it off and it stuck to your nails, but not your skin. Yeah, you could put barrier cream on, or I actually enjoyed the experience of having it all over my hands. Then you would wash it off, as you said, and it would only adhere to a base coat, or if you already had a color on your nails, it would adhere to that. So it would immediately come off your skin. It would just like, almost like water paints would just fall off, but it would stay on the nails. And it was just a great fun product. You know, it's, it was our most talked about product I think we've ever done. And in terms of press, hugely successful. But talk to us about that kind of decision you make, because people often say my best sellers are never what people think they are. And I make different products and I innovate for press, but actually I keep selling the stuff that's really not that cool. I think for us, it's, we've always done well in innovation. I think it's part of the DNA of the brand. So we don't sell an ordinary color. Nails Inc. does not sell a red without a story. We would have a red that is pure formulation or infused with kale we always have a story of how we've created a product and it's very often driven by either something that we think is going to be a trend or something that we see as a trend in a completely different area in fashion or beauty or skincare and I guess we use nails ink as a canvas for other wider trends and things that excite us whereas maybe other nail companies just go Let's create a beautiful red. Mm. We don't think that way at Nails Inc. We create a beautiful red with an amazing backstory with a unique ingredient different to any other red we've had before. We sort of try and push the boundaries. Yeah. Let's talk about the gel range that yeah. you do and, and the whole gel yeah. called craze that swept at the globe however many years yeah. ago. Did that worry you at the time? Well, we were, were, the, you, were you panicking going, what no, are we going to do? What are we going to do? We had been doing gel manicures pretty much since the off um, set of nails ink. So we'd been doing a, using a service called Biosculpture, a South African product. So we had always done something that was a gel manicure. In terms of product, when the gel manicure craze, I guess, hit every home in high street because everyone got in a salon, whereas historically ourselves and very few other people had had that service, we we created a range with the same technology as a gel manicure, but in a smaller percentage so that you could have a gel polish at home with the same plumping, the level of shine, extra wear time, but that you would take it off with normal nail polish remover because a lot of our customers don't enjoy the removal no. system, either in terms of the acetone soak or just the faff and the time. So we said... Gel is a trend that's going to be here to say, you know, let's use that language. The customer likes the word gel. So let's put that gel language and that gel formulation and those ingredients into something that's much easier to use. And let's continue to sell our gel manicures in our nail bars. But we, what we didn't ever do was sell a gel manicure kit at home. Because what we didn't believe in, the only element of the business I think we still don't believe in today is that a customer at home can do a gel manicure well by themselves. And is the desire for gel still there is it waning there's a demand for something that's convenient that lasts for that long i think the customer's quite split and so we offer for both 
Uh, talk to us about QVC. Yes. Because I'm going there tonight. Are you? Because yes. For people that don't watch QVC, shop QVC, or are the QVC customer, I think they kind of don't understand what immense power it has. Yeah. And what a huge driver of sales it is for some really kind of upmarket beauty brands. I mean, I remember Definitely. hearing Elemis's figures and just being completely yes. blown away. I can't remember how many units they were selling yes. an hour but on QVC. Thousands but of it units. really was. And I was like, this is in the UK. I, was thinking, the I mean, it's incredible. So I'm back presenting, actually. I used to present it back in the early days of Nails Inc. And then I stopped for years whilst oh, I was building the right. business. I know what I need to be doing. And now I'm back. Into QVC. I'm it's back not strangely addictive about watching yeah, QVC. I'm on exactly every evening this week. I think it, you know, it can really help you build your brand because... It is, in lots of ways, free advertising. I remember QVC saying to me when we were first doing it, because I remember looking at the margins and it was a different sort of, you know, pricing structure to how we've worked before. But actually, and people do make very good money on QVC, but even if you didn't, it is the most powerful tool in terms of advertising because you get to really tell your story. I don't think there's anywhere else well, apart from maybe talk here. About something for however long you're I on. I know. Well, sometimes I'm on for an hour, so I have a long chat. Do you sell to them at wholesale and then there's... You sell to them at wholesale, and, and then they discount. And yeah, well, do, they, do, pay, do, do people pay below the RRPs? They got to be some. The added customer value. gets a great price because QVC basically have negotiating power because they buy big volumes, and it's as simple as that. In the same way that Boots might have a better price than you know a smaller boutique store, they just buy volume. They tend to have different products or different configurations of products, but they'll have bestsellers and new products as well as products that our customers are asking to come back that we maybe don't have space for in some of our retail doors that come back on QVC. We test and trial a lot of product on there as well and get great customer feedback. Customers really engaged. The data is phenomenal. Yeah, I was going to say. And is it must be so interesting to see the difference between the people that walk into your stores and the people that are buying QVC, I imagine. I think it used to be a very different audience. And today, I think the savvy shopper finds these brands on, on QVC. You know, today you've got Bobby Brown and Bare Minerals and... Anastasia and Lizelle and Elemis, you know, I mean, and there's Mali Beauty from the States. You know, some of the brands as well are American brands that in, if you can't buy them in the UK, the only place you can buy them is Sephora. I think QVC do a really good job of getting some of those brands for the first time because they do big volumes and they build their brands based on that and then they get retail or dot-com distribution yeah. afterwards. Right. And is it growing QVC? I don't know their numbers. Our business is growing with them. I don't know their numbers at all, but our business is, has done phenomenally well, yeah. Amazing. People sort of love to hate it, but I think the QVC customer, I think, knows that they are getting fantastic yeah. deals. And I think the, people are quite snobby about QVC, but that's just they don't really understand. I when think they say that, it's usually from a place where they just... Well, of ignorance, isn't it? Because yeah. the moment you watch it and you see that you're getting better prices and you compare them to where else you, you know, what else you'd pay, yeah. you suddenly realise that actually you know, it's quite a smart way of shopping. And it's very educational, you know, with things like nails and skincare, you can really educate the customer into how to use the products. Absolutely. So our QVC customers probably know more about our products than any of our other customers because you go through such detail of how to use something. And how do you compete with celebrity brands? You know, there are so many celebrity beauty brands launching all the time. I don't think that that's who I, in my mind, compete with every day because they do what they're doing and we do what we're doing. We obviously watch what everyone's doing. But we've never followed. So I think the joy of Nails Inc. is we don't, you know, and the same with Incredible, we don't follow what other people are doing. So we try and create products that genuinely are first. And the way we've approached Incredible Cosmetics is exactly that. Everything we've launched has been unique, exclusive to us. 
we've tried to fill the white space that you know wasn't being filled before so and whether that's the actual product itself or the price point that it's launched at you know I, I think if you try to lead every day you don't get too stressed about your competition and I think today to be fair the biggest celebrities are the beauty bloggers so mm. they're the guys that make your product a hero customers care about what real people think about product so let's talk about incredibles felt ink dot readable sister brand to nails ink yeah why have you launched this tell us more about it what is it that makes it unique I think you know myself and my team just have ambitions outside of nail I think you know we talked before we've used nail products as a canvas for ideas that we've created whether it's been superfood based or other ingredients based or trend based or you know all different assets of the market that we sort of pulled on and always bottled it into nail and then there's some ideas that you have that you go that actually won't work in nail polish because it doesn't do anything so we don't ever add an ingredient if at the end of it hasn't improved the formula and so there are ideas that we've had over the years that just don't work in nail that may well work across other cosmetics and I think our customers trust us on color so why not continue to explore and incredible can be the home to so much more than nail you know nails ink by the nature of its name we are only ever going to deliver nail polish or hand associated products in that range whereas incredible can you know move into skincare and body and cosmetics bags and makeup and it's it's the whole limitless yeah it's limitless and that's really lovely actually it it gives a new energy to nails ink to have a brand sitting alongside it that's limitless Mm. then you go let's break some nails ink rules and i think since we launched incredible we've really broken some of our own nails ink rules and it's been really successful to nails ink to say we don't have to do that just because we've always done it that way Mm. and i think we've had probably one of our best years in terms of product development on the back of saying just because nails ink always did it doesn't mean we have to do it that way anymore let's do it differently different price point different product different configuration yeah and it's been really good for us and do you want it as a separate business or just a separate brand same same it's the same team behind it i mean pretty much all the team crossover all brands and how big is your team uh we're around 35 in head office but because of the nail bars we're up to around 200 people in total and how different has it been launching a brand in 2017 versus 1999 i mean i think we've got the experience of nails inc behind us and a lot of the Initial distribution for Incredible is the same retail partners that we work with. And then Incredible has won its own unique distribution is living outside of Nails Inc. now as well. It's only four months old or something, I think, Incredible at this point. We launched it in November. So it's a, a mere baby, but it has won lots of its own distribution too. It's different because it shares so much of the Nails Inc. DNA. You sort of instinctively know a lot of the answers to you know, what the customer experience and journey needs to be like on Incredible. But it's positioned at a slightly lower price point than Nails Inc. And it starts at around, was it £8? £8. Although some of Nails Inc.'s best-selling products today are £11, so some of our sort of really keen price points is is where we're seeing the volume too. And that's why I think Nails Inc. and Incredible are very good together because they keep sharing the learnings of of where the market's at. Mm. And also to recruit new customers. I think, you know, the Incredible price point is fantastic for that. You know, it's really an exciting price point. But the product and the formulation sort of punches way above um, what what you'd expect. What are the products in the Incredible range that have surprised you the most or are the yeah. best sellers? The best sellers so far is we launched a product called Lip Jelly, which is this jelly lip balm with a little flower inside. And that sold out in its first few days of launch. Wow. 
So that was phenomenal for us. I think we knew that was going to be our best seller, to be fair, but it took a higher percentage of the weight than we thought. Otherwise, we'd have had some more stock. And then we just recently had a lot of hype around this jelly highlighter called You Glow Girl that we've launched, which is sold out in Sephora. Sephora actually took all of the stock, so it hasn't landed in our other retailers. It will do soon, but it's sold out with them. The US bloggers have all really picked up on it because it's $12 and it's a different texture to a normal highlighter because it's this jelly highlighter. So that's been selling really, that's sold really, really well for us. And you just mentioned bloggers a couple of times. That's obviously been a big change. You really believe, do you, in the power of bloggers and the importance in in making a product successful today? So I believe in the 360 approach. You know, I think I believe in everything from making sure that your consumers are fully aware wherever they're reading up on you to having that content on your own website to being on QVC and sharing your brand story to being on a... 16 year old's beauty blog you know and talking to her audience and I believe in those micro bloggers as much as I do believe in the big ones because I think you know you can get a lot from using some of the smaller bloggers who end up being the big bloggers anyway later on and I think people have wised up to yeah if you don't come to me until I'm a million followers then you know yeah and the engagement is often better isn't it anyway exactly so, so yeah. I th- but I believe in all of it you know I still believe in traditional press because I still read everything I, I think I'm a marketing junkie so I like <laughs> I read everything and look at everything because that's how you feel informed and there's just more places to look now aren't there yes it's a full-time job to keep it's up a with full-time content. job which brings me neatly on to the fact that you are a mother of three children yes. and you know one has to when sitting opposite such a successful female entrepreneur one has to ask you how you do it and how you juggle it and beyond sort of delegating to good people whether you have any words of wisdom for women that are listening and I think the the juggle and the sort of the struggle is real is the reality so I, I think all that I have done over the years is I have got used to the fact that you have these two jobs all day and that sometimes family life is absolutely smooth sailing and no one needs you and you can work your socks off and other times you need to leave the office and look after something at home and I think you just get used to doing the two in tandem. I think all it is that changes with it is you just your capacity grows and you get used to doing the two all day. I think the other thing that I've definitely started to do, which has worked for me in the last few years, is I've asked my kids what's important that I go to for them. Actually, a lot of the time where your kids want you is the one-on-one time, the two of you, rather than turning up to an event and talking to all the other mummies. That actually isn't necessarily. And I think that was new to me. I didn't know that before when I've said I can go to three things or four things this week, but I can't do 11 things. So what's important to you? And as your kids get bigger, they're really good at saying that's important to me. You know, because like my eldest son said, sports day is now. And how old are your children? My eldest is 14. So he would no longer, you know, he would much rather you were at the football match than at a sports day. And he would also rather that you were doing something sporty with him, the two of you on the weekend, rather than turning up something at school. You know, he'd like to know that he was going to go and go to the gym with you or something. You know, it's different. Their answers are are different to what you think. You can't do that when you've got babies. Mm. And I think the baby stage, I think I always found really hard because you feel very torn on your heartstrings, you know, sort of leaving a baby because they can't tell you it's all okay. Mm. As your children get older you feel more comfortable. And my kids genuinely are pretty proud of what I do. They like it. So I think because they're excited by my business, 
that helps. They're at an age where they get it. They're at an age where they get it and they're not negative. And I think they see the hard work. You know, my husband runs his own business as well. So I think they see the hard work that goes into it. You don't get toys and sports gear unless mum and dad go to yeah, work. It's I think that's the reality. It's yeah, it really doesn't grow on trees. Yes. God damn it. <laughs> and would you do anything differently? Oh, I'm sure I make mistakes every single day. I don't you? Know, I mean, I make hundreds of them, bucket loads. I'm very relaxed about my mistakes these days. I think, you know, in the early days, I would stress about everything I got wrong. And now when things go wrong, you just sort of pick it up and fix it and resolve it and apologize and sort it out. I yeah. would still do exactly what I've done in terms of the overall picture. I don't know if I changing my mistakes would get me here any differently yeah. you know, in the end. But yeah. yeah, I probably could have saved myself some sleepless nights yeah. along the way. <laughs> yeah. And what advice would you give to want to be entrepreneurs to do it? I would say do it because I don't think anything's anywhere near as complicated as you think. Running most businesses, it's a whole load of hard work. The thing that keeps most businesses going is that founder wanting to keep pushing on, you know, because the early days are tough. But I don't think it's hard. I don't think it's complicated. I don't think there's any missing magic that you or I have got that someone else hasn't got. I feel like anyone can do this. Anyone can set up their own business. It's just how much you want it. And so I feel like if you're hungry and you really want it, you'll go on and be successful. If you only half want it, I would avoid it because it's definitely <laughs> full on. Well, I think that's a great place to end. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you, Thea. Thank you Thank so you. much. And I certainly need to try that jelly highlighter. Yeah, it of sounds, course. Bring it, it in sounds next like time. a great product. That's all we've got time for today. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.